Welcome to the Insecurity Project Podcast. Most people think the best you can do with insecurity is mask it, manage it, or medicate. I'm convinced this is a problem that can be solved for good, and that's what this show is all about. Join me for weekly 10-minute Tuesday episodes, live coaching demonstrations, and world-class interviews on the subject of overcoming insecurity. Now on to today's show. Hi folks, you're on the Insecurity Project again with Jamin. My guest today is Philippa Ballet. She is an award-winning medical practitioner, uh, founder of Chris and Philly Functional Medicine. Uh, I, as with all my guests, I'm I'm super interested in not only the success that they've experienced, but how they got there, and in the process, what they've had to overcome, specifically in their internal journey. So, Philippa, thanks so much for being on the show today and being willing to unpack how you got to where you are. Uh, it's always such a gift to give someone to lift the lid and say it hasn't always been beer and skittles, and that the process has has often been difficult. But I think it gives people hope that. Uh, if one person can do it, well, another person can do it. And if they can do it, well, then I can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And so it just lifts the the collective hope that it is possible to overcome stuff that has got in the way and limited you and uh, rise above to uh, live a meaningful and fulfilling life and an, an effective life, bringing contribution to the world, which is what you are doing. So thanks again for being thanks. on the show. Thank you. I'm super excited. I love your podcast. Listen to so many. So I'm feeling very privileged and honored to be here. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. Uh, let's begin in the beginning. Always interested by backstory. Uh, I'm, I think almost every client has that I've ever worked with has, has had some kind of aversion to going back um, and some hope that you don't need to go back. Uh, but going back is where it all happened. That's you know, so much of our life is shaped by the experiences we have when we're young, growing up in our families. And so that stuff fascinates me because it's how the map gets made. And once the map gets made, it very rarely gets changed. Um, so I'm very interested in how the map was made. And then I'm always interested in how a person has found a way to enlarge their map and improve their map. So tell us about what it was like growing up in your world and the role your parents played in shaping your sense of self? Yeah, so that was a really interesting question because I was thinking back, like I have fond, very great memories of growing up. Um, so we lived in Tasmania in a country, outback country, bush, <laughs> um, surrounded by not just my family but extended family. My nan was up the road, my uncles and aunts were up the road, so we were always with our cousins and we had a very – tight family um, relationships. And my mum and dad were very loving, supportive, um, hard workers. I don't feel like, oh, maybe I'll go into that in a second. So hard workers, my mum was very much the, and I can see myself in both mum and dad. So mum was very much, uh, you know, she was a night shift nurse at night, mum of five during the day. She kind of kept the household going as well as our finances, whereas my dad was the visionary. And so he was the, the entrepreneur, the businessman, without really knowing how to run a business, but he just, um, he was excited about something and he went out and did it. And so from that perspective, in terms of how it shaped my entrepreneurial journey is that, um, my dad instilled, and not that he ever sat, I don't ever remember him sitting down and saying to me, Philly, 
you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and this is what I've done. It was more just watching dad and he'd be like, oh, I have a building project and I'm going to run off and do that. Oh, I want to build a flower farm. I've never seen anyone do that before, but now I'm going to do that. So he was very much like working in the trades, but always creating new ideas, even now in his 70s, mid 70s, late 70s. How old are you, dad? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> he's got a new project. He's creating tiny homes and like pods. And <laughs> I'm like, dad, you don't have to do that anymore. But he just loves doing that. Um, and so he was also a very creative person, uh, loved to draw, but wasn't a very good drawer, he thought in his eyes. Um, but as a young girl, um, I, you know, I loved drawing and dancing and writing and all those lovely art, arty type things. And he would always say to me, I remember, Philly, you're going to be on the next Dancing with the Stars or the next Australian Idol. And I'm like, I would roll my eyes out here. And I'm like, no, I'm not that good. So, so he had a lot of um, belief in me or even what someone can do um, that, you know, whatever you want to do, you can go out and do it. Um, but as a child, I remember I was very shy, maybe even slightly anxious um, and... I don't know where that came from. I was a middle child, <laughs> middle child syndrome, but I had two older sisters who were a bit older than me and they were even a bit like mother role models to me. And I feel like mm. they've shaped my life as well. So especially my older sister, very popular, outgoing, outspoken, kind of the complete opposite to what I was as a kid. And I was always trying to follow in her footsteps and it showed up in like good ways now, but I would say like in my teenage years, 20s, there became a lot of dysfunctions in the way that I was trying to model that and trying to find my place in the world. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting. Uh, there's a few things to pick on, pick up from what you've shared already. Um, the, the modeling from your dad and just the power of that, uh, you know, a lot, it's common for parents to tell their children that they can be successful and they can go and achieve, but for your dad to actually model that he, he was a person who, didn't take limits, um, came up with new ideas, backed himself and, and the confidence that that instills, even if it doesn't happen immediately, that ultimately you know what's possible because you've seen it in the real world and you continue to watch it in the real world. The gift mm. that that gives you is profound. Uh, and But then watching your sisters model their own version of confidence and success. So the process of seeing it happen with people doing it and then trying it on for yourself and finding your own version of it and sometimes the clunkiness of that of going, but I'm different from you and I can't do it quite like you do. So what does that mean about me? So um, tell, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned some some dysfunctional ways. Tell us a little bit how mm. about how uh, your world started to not work well and and you didn't feel like that you were emulating the success of your, your sisters or your, your parents um, and getting stuck in life. Yeah, so I would say, so in Tasmania, we have high school, which is grade 7 to 10, and then college is years 11 and 12. <laughs> I think it's different to where in Victoria, hey? I'm Victoria? in New South Wales. New um, South Wales? New South Wales. I lived in New South Wales, so yeah, that's different. Yeah, high yeah, school it's, is it's, like 7 to 12. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so in high school, uh, high school was fun. I. Again, don't know how it happened. I came from a country school to a brand new school and I was considered the popular girl, um, 
even though I was shy and quite insecure in myself and I cl- clutched onto that and I'm like, yeah, 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 this is all going okay. Um, and then moved to college, so years 11 and 12 and a lot of my friends dropped out of school. Um, and so I was left uh, without that security blanket, I guess, of having people that loved me <laughs> and thought mm. that I was cool. And so again, I was trying to sort of emulate my sister, my older sister, Carly, who was a very good writer and very studious, but also very confident, lots of friends. And I didn't know how to make friends in college. I wasn't very good at doing that. And so I, and so I started getting good grades at school. Um, again, there were a few things that I was super passionate about. Writing was a big one. And I was starting to get, you know, my teachers like, wow, you're really talented. You're uh, this, this and this. And so I felt like I clap, clutched onto that side of things in terms of, okay, well, if I can't be the popular person anymore, I can get appraisal from my teachers and, you know, even my family and my sister and my parents because I'm getting straight A's. And so I kind of just obsessively started working um, at school and in my grades. And this continued right through university. So I did a Bachelor of Arts and then I went and did a PhD. And I be, it, it was this obsession that I thought it was fine back then because I thought, oh, it's not a bad thing to want to get straight A's all the time and HDs. But looking back, I can see it was causing a lot of stress. Um, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. I had massive amounts of imposter syndrome that even when I would get these grades, I'm like, do I even deserve this? Am I like, how did I, how did I do this? Someone's going to find out at one point. Um, especially when I was doing my PhD. Um, so I was a very, I was young, 23, I think I was when I started my PhD and that's pretty wow. uncommon. Um, at university and so I was constantly trying to compare myself to these mature women and men who were doing great things and here I was writing and thinking one day they're going to find out and then I became a tutor and a lecturer and I'm like holy crap one day they're going to find out and so I had so much imposter syndrome around that that I worked 150% to try and deliver or you know put that output out of good quality work so that I wouldn't ever be found out um and I was passionate like there was passion around what I was doing back then but I felt like the dysfunction was that I needed to look good and I needed to get good grades not because I wanted to make a big impact in the world which is now I feel like when I work that's my main purpose that makes sense <laughs> it does it does make sense and such a, a common pattern it's part of the insecurity is rocket fuel dilemma of the 20s of our mm. of our 20s you know it produces extraordinary performance which you've described You're like all right cool i'll uh, i'll attach my value to performance great well then i better perform very well and the more i perform then the more i'll get loved and so you went 150 which it, it's a like it's an impossible number. Obviously, you don't. You only have a hundred percent, but it, it is accurate in another way because you're kind of stealing from future energy. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. You are digging into reserves that you don't actually have in order to perform in a way that um, you, you know gives you your best chance of being acknowledged. And eventually, it comes crashing down. So, yeah. tell, tell us about how that process ended for you. I mean, how did yeah. it? How did it ultimately? Um, cost you to, to run that strategy of driving so hard for so long? Yeah, I love what you said about the future energy. I'm like, oh, I've never thought about that because I the way I, I guess like being in, uh, you know, the natural medicine field is that I think about 
when you don't have that energy left, you start eating away at your insides. But it kind of is your future energy too because it prevents what you can be and what you can become and what mm. you can give. Um, so for me, it was health 100%. So um, before having children, it was showing up in different ways, although it wasn't causing an issue with how I wanted to live my life. But weird stuff, like I started developing, that it was diagnosed as vassal vagal episodes where I would, when I was in a state of stress, I would faint and fit and then pee myself and it would happen quite often. Mm. And it would take a day or two to recover. But once I was back, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going, 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 keep doing, doing, doing. And it's what I, I, I definitely was an addicted doer. That's kind of like what I called myself or even now it's a recovering addicted doer. <laughs> um, and so, so that was one thing that was popping up a lot of hormonal issues too. So like my periods stopped, I wasn't getting periods, you know, maybe every three or six months it would come along. And then eventually when we wanted to have children, there was infertility issues, which caused more stress. Mm. Um, and so I feel like that was from the physical side of things, it was definitely showing up there and I'll get to then children and then things really fell apart. Um, but also to like relationship issues, um, even just being able to have fun. And this ties back, I forgot to mention too, back in my childhood, my dad's business adventures actually went bust at one point and we were at the point of bankruptcy. I think I was 14 years old. We had to sell our beautiful childhood home that I was my only home for the last 14 years. And I remember crying. I ran to my room that day <laughs> when on the day we had to move out and bawling my eyes out because at the time it was probably because I didn't want to leave. But I think too, I was definitely being negatively affected by like the financial strains of our family. Um, and so that also has played a part in my addictive doing as well, which kind of gets into the business story in a secie. Um, but why did I mention that? Where was I up to relationship issues? Oh yeah, relationship issues. So there was a lot of, uh, and not being able to have fun. So mm. I pulled myself into work and studying and working and I didn't allow myself to have fun. Like holidays, I'm like, holy moly, why? I'm, Chris and I always talk about it. I'm like, why weren't we going overseas all these years before we had children when we had the freedom to do it? But it was because I didn't allow myself to do that. One, because of the work, but also because of financial insecurity. And it was like, I had to like hoard my money. And I'm like, I can't do anything because I need to have this money in my bank for, I don't know, to buy a house or something. <laughs> now I look back, I'm like, there's always money. Money comes in and out. And why didn't I just have fun with that? Um, and so then I had children and my body, uh, it was quite a, a beautiful pregnancy, but the birth was quite traumatic. So it was a three day labor, um, a very complicated like delivery, um, ended up having all the interventions, not a cesarean, but big forceps that tore up my bowel and my bladder um, and vagina. And then after that, I had nerve issues where I couldn't pee for four months. Um, I had no sensation to urinate. And so I had to use a catheter during that time. Um, and uh, the doctors put me on heaps of antibiotics to prevent UTIs. And I ended up going in and out of hospital. So... That was a huge thing physically, but then many, many years of that emotional, psychological stress, which was burning out my body energy, as well as my future energy, like you mm. mentioned. Um, 
And then it was almost like that bucket just got too full. And once I had kids, that all just crumbled. And I got to the point where for six months after having Poppy, like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I had no creativity. It was all sucked from my body. Um, I think I continued working at university, but just casually, because I really like, my tank was very empty. Um, But it was showing up in very dysfunctional ways. I had no love for my child. In fact, I didn't really want her at that point. Mm. Lots of marriage relationship issues. Um, And all of a sudden I went from this woman or this young girl, young woman, who could achieve and do things. And like my worth was all about, you know, what I could put out to uh, like I've delivered this child and she's, I felt like, I see it differently now, but I she's ripped me apart and she's ruined my body and like now I'm just a mum and I don't even feel good about it. (laughs) And so that was huge. Like that was huge from an identity point of view, like who even am I now? Like, and I thought that this dream of maybe even modeling the way that my mum was an amazing mum and looked after our five kids while working at the same time to, I can't even, I don't even feel like cuddling my child. So where is, where is this worth that people talk about and this love that you feel for your child and like how amazing motherhood is? I didn't feel that initially. Uh, yeah, vulnerable stuff. Thank you for sharing. And I'm sure lots of people can relate to this. So then um, keep going. What, what happened next? Okay. So Poppy turned one. So all of this, none of, I wasn't, I wasn't addressing anything because I just thought people were like, even GPs, um, it's just normal to feel like this. And Mm -hmm. so I was struggling with like mental health issues. Probably I I didn't tell people about that though. Like I really, I mean, I said stuff like I don't feel any love for my child, but I didn't want, again, it was maybe my insecurity of not wanting people to really know how broken I was feeling inside. And so mental health issues, I started developing like low immunity, catching all the colds and flus and infections, like literally every two months I'd have something new. I mean, two weeks, um, chronic back pain to the point where there were some days I was lying in bed for the whole day or two, not being able to move because my back back pain was so bad. Um, gut issues, skin issues, hormonal issues, low libido, um, and even obsessive compulsive tendencies as well, which again, caused a lot of issues with our marriage because I suddenly developed this like thought that my husband's cheating on me. Like I had to check every email and text message and none of that was happening at all, but it was just my mind seeing the world in a completely dysfunctional way. Um, And Poppy turned one and I thought at that time, I felt like an 80 year old. (laughs) I'm like, what's gonna happen if I don't do anything about this? one, I'm probably going to lose my marriage. I'm going to do cause dysfunctional issues with my children. And I don't know, maybe I won't be here in a few years time. So I took matters into my own hand and it's interesting listening to, listening to your podcast when you talk about health, that when people have health issues, they usually go and address their health issues as a health issue. And so initially I did that because I didn't like I didn't know anything about root causes back then. And so I tried to heal my body by changing my the way that I ate. 
which like all these things definitely helped and it took inflammation of my body and it relieved some symptoms. Um, so, you know, I started fermenting foods and, um, you know, making my own yogurts and just going back to the basics rather than eating everything from a packet. Um, and then I started and that got me to a point and then I started um, seeking out help from physiotherapists, osteopaths, naturopaths, energy healers. Um, again, some of those treatments helped with some symptoms, but it wasn't getting to the root cause. Um, and then my second baby came along and I think she was about three months old when I found functional medicine. And so functional medicine uh, combines the natural therapies, uh, natural medicine with using scientific lab testing to actually diagnose what body systems were uh, imbalanced. And that was something new that I hadn't thought of or tried. Um, and so I started doing my own work um, on myself with my functional medicine mentor, who then later taught me how to uh, practice functional medicine and so initially I'm like did all these amazing lab tests I'm like yeah wow my dopamine levels are low and I've got adrenal fatigue and I've got like parasites overgrowing and and I thought then I'm like yes I've got to the root cause and so I started doing work around those imbalances so a lot of that involved nutraceutical supplements and you know diet changes and lifestyle changes and all that sort of stuff and again I remember two months into my adrenal fatigue protocol I was feeling better but I still wasn't feeling optimal and I and I remember talking to my uh, to Dr Kalish so he's the functional medicine uh, practitioner he's like okay you're doing this this and this and I'm like yeah 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 I'm taking those supplements I'm doing this diet and he's like well how are you living your life <laughs> I'm like mm, yeah that hasn't changed I was still running around trying to be 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 and do 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 and like 10 o'clock at night have I done all the things on my checklist that I needed to do and like you know and and I was feeling better too so I dove back into my business and like my work output and you know I was saying yes to everyone and trying to do everything uh not having any sort of strategy or any balance around that and so he said to me you do realize that that's probably like the root cause as to why you feel like this anyway. <laughs> and so that was looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, that's quite simple. But it was a huge light bulb moment for me because all of a sudden I'm like, okay, yeah. So all this stuff that I'm doing to support my body physically is important, but I'm never going to overcome these symptoms that keep popping up in my life until I address the root cause, which is also why I really resonate with what you do with the insecurity project, because a lot of the things like even clients that we work with we're always asking why it's like okay why are you feeling like that okay you have this issue with your adrenals or uh you know a pathogen overgrowth in your gut but why did that happen and it's like well it's because i eat lots of sugar well that makes sense as to why you have a candida overgrowth but then it's like but why are you eating lots of sugar yeah and you know and then it like really does go back to the way that people think and feel about themselves which then dictates their behavior which creates a lifestyle, which can create a health issue. I it's it's amazing that you say that because uh, so often people stop at a few levels of awareness and, and miss the fact that yeah, sure you're working excessively and can't ever rest, but why? Uh, and they don't know they don't know why. And to do that one further step of going, okay, my identity is is a tied tied to my performance, so I can't afford the rest because if I don't do, then I. I have no value. And if I have no value, what's the point of me being me? Um, mm. if, you, if you don't face that at some level, then how are you supposed to change your behavior? 
So mm. I'm like I'm I'm curious around. Obviously, you've come out the other side of um, some very significant health issues and creating pressure on your relationships, not just with your husband, but with your kids, uh, probably with friends and family as well, let alone the relationship with yourself. Uh, you've come out the other side of that uh, by making a whole kind of all kinds of adjustments to your nutrition and health and, and lifestyle. I'm really curious. I'm, I'm most curious around uh, can, can you tell us a bit about the process of facing up to identity, like the deepest stuff around your value and worth that had been tied to performing and achieving and the process of separating those so that you were able to have peace within yourself, which then could break the cycle of having to yeah. perform so chronically? Yeah, and that came even several years after Dr. Kaylee said, well, it's to do with your lifestyle. Cause back then it was even like what you were talking about with layers. It's like, okay, yeah, cool. So I'm doing this body stuff and I'm like, okay, so I got to slow down. And so for a few years there, I just, I, I tried to get more work-life balance and, you know, more me time and go swim in the ocean and all that sort of stuff. But it wasn't until a couple of years later that, that that deeper stuff I started thinking about that deeper stuff and working around that and it probably and it more so came out of um so my husband his role in our business is our motivational coach and so he has a background in, as a mindset coach and um neuro-legalistic programming um practitioner um uh, but prior to that prior to him getting into that line of work he was a personal trainer so it was more so I guess his own growth so he had his own burnout story as well. Um, that would be an interesting one to dig into, but it was really about like, I need to be the best and like high level performance sports person. I need to win and win and win. And it was completely breaking down his body. And so he had to do a lot of um, work around that to unravel that identity that actually my worth isn't in winning all the time my worth is so much more and where the heck did that even come from and so he kind of in his journey I was resistant at first and it's interesting too like you always say people are very kind of like a bit scared to dig into this stuff because <laughs> yeah. it's going to show off some things and you're going to have to deal with that yeah, yeah and so I remember he came back from a retreat actually where he'd done all this work and he came back glowing and he was like a new man and he said to me um we need to change uh can we, no, he said, he asked, he's like, can we, can we get new dining chairs? I'll get to your question in a sec. It's just kind of an interesting lead up to my resistance to that initially. Um, and I said, my dining chairs, these are great. I got them like they were a hundred dollars for six chairs on Gumtree, cute little antique chairs. But he said, I really don't like the chairs because they hurt my back and I want to work through this so that I can be a better dad. <laughs> And I'm like, this is really weird. And I got very offended. And I'm like, what's wrong with my chairs? If you love your family, you'll just sit in the chair and you'll have dinner with your family. I'm not getting rid of my chairs. Wow. And so that was the start of, ooh, which is why I'm really interested. And I really want to read your new book because it was like that, holy smokes, this guy is having his own transformation at a deeper level to what I had had with my health. And I'm feeling like kind of insecure about that. And what does that mean with our relationship? And am I going to have to change? And like, or is he going to like go 10 steps ahead of me and I'm going to be left behind? And so that was just one example. There were many, many 
many things that happened in that maybe one year period where it's just like Chris was transforming, but I wasn't, I'd transformed from like a lifestyle health perspective, but that inner work is just like, nah, I don't want to go there. <laughs> um, but eventually I did. And I don't think that was any one specific time. It was more just conversations that we had during that time. And I think when I, when I go back to, especially now running a business, um, which can be a bit scary when you don't have that regular income coming in every week like you do if you're employed by someone else and you know exactly what you're getting. And so after I had my children, so I feel like there were two, two deep things that were affecting my addicted doing tendencies. And that was that feeling of like worth when I achieved and I got praise. Um, and then also like financial insecurity I think was a big one too and I do remember having like working through that um and thinking back to okay where did that come from and was that coming from I think it is maybe not maybe if we actually had a session together James would probably <laughs> find something different but I feel like do it did come back from when I was an early teenager the financial stresses in our own family and then that like near ba bankruptcy, which really shook my whole, whole world because it wasn't just like, oh, we need bankruptcy, but it completely changed like where we moved to school, all that sort of stuff. So it was a huge, like everything that I knew was uprooted. And so, and so for me, it's like, okay, do I need to, like, how do I change that? How do I get over that fear of not having enough, not being enough? Um, the not being enough, I think, was an easier transition because I realised at the end of the day, does it really matter what other people think of me? Um, and and because I had such a uh, personal health crisis, I guess, and it really affected my life, my my work that I do now in our business, it's really like, I mean, yes, it's nice to win awards and to get media features, but really like the aim is so that more people can find out that there are ways, like especially mums, that there are ways that you can overcome body burnout and the root causes that all go along with that. Um, and so it's not, so I feel like it's no longer about me needing to prove my worth that yeah, I'm, I'm a good practitioner. Like everyone should work with me. It's more like, actually, I just, I don't want other people to suffer like I did. Um, and so, and so that helps me too with balance because I'm like, okay, at the end of the day, and I create boundaries around this now as well, because I want to have different identities. Like I don't want to just be the businesswoman or the, the practitioner. I want to be a good mom. I want to be a, a loving wife. Um, and I also want to be a human being in my own right. And so I've created boundaries around that so that, you know, when the kids are at school, that's where I put on my entrepreneur hat and, you know, I go to town and do what I want to do. And, but when the kids come home, it's like, I can take that hat off. And even if I don't get the stuff done, it doesn't matter because time, like time is irrelevant, really. Like there's no deadline to have to do things. Um, I'm not letting anyone down. I'm not letting myself down. Um, and I want to be the mum now. Uh, so, so that for me, and again, I don't know, maybe from an insecurity point of view, there are way deeper levels I could go through. 
but setting boundaries and becoming really clear about my different identities and when those identities show up has helped me to 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 live a life where I don't have to feel like I have to prove my worth. Does that make sense? <laughs> it, it does make sense. And and if I was to examine one one deeper level, all I'm most curious in is uh, is the belief structure that enables that behavior to be sustained. So when I hear someone say, I just stopped worrying about people, you know, what they thought of me, I didn't need them to like me anymore. I mean, that's silly. Who, who cares what other people think? I can understand that that's the, the end result and the experience, but I'm, I'm curious how. How is that possible? Because it wasn't possible last year or, or for the whole life, and now all of a sudden it's possible. There's a missing piece. You're not telling me something. And mm. so for a person who's, who's been able to do that, on some level, they've actually created a belief that sustains that, a belief that they can hang that behaviour on. Um, just like in the pain, the painful moments, so you kind of talked about the the financial pain of watching your your, your family suffer and your dad's business nearly go bankrupt. Um, it's, yes, there's an experience of hardship there and, and difficulty and stress, and it's linked to finances, but in order for you, uh, an intelligent, creative, successful woman, not to spend money on travel and to have this obsession with, um, you know, hoarding money so that you had enough, how, how do you do that? What, what belief enables you to behave like that? Like that's how I'm, how I'm wired to think. And so I'd, I'd be really, really curious around the personalization of the experience at 15. That's where I'd go. I'd, I'd wonder, yeah. sure, when that happened, yeah. You were watching yourself ha have that experience mm -hmm. and you're in the midst of it. And it wasn't just happening to your dad. It wasn't just happening to your family. It was happening to you. And it was data that was informing you about something really important. And so that to me is the where these beliefs are formed off the, the sense-making questions. Why is this happening and what does it mean about me? And, and so that's that's the level that I think about just to to go to. Yeah touch on your point about around the insecurity piece. I'm just thinking back to the financial thing too. As a teenager, I did this with Easter eggs as well. It was really weird. So <laughs> I get my Easter eggs and all my other siblings would eat them all and I'd be like little piece, little piece and hide it under my bed and like a little piece every day and six months later I'd still have my Easter eggs. <laughs> but um and then same with money. It was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working. I'm getting money. Put it in the bank. Put it in the bank. And I got praised. I got praised for that as well, both with the Easter eggs and the money. And so I don't know, maybe it was a praise thing again. It's like, oh, Philippa is like our angel child. She's so good at, at saving her money. And look at all this money that she has in her bank account went, oh, look at her sister. She's just spent it all on clothes. Um same with the Easter eggs. It's like, oh, Philip has got such good self-control around sugar and, and chocolate. And look, she's saving her Easter egg. And sometimes I'd actually give my Easter eggs back to my mom at her birthday six months later. Um, so that's a really, I've always thought about that. I'm like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Is it something like, am I scared of not having? And even when I started um, changing the way that I ate, that was a whole journey in itself because it wasn't like I decided one day of, oh, I'm going to um, go from eating like packaged processed food to eating all beautiful whole foods from scratch. It was like a five-year journey for me to get from the point of being addicted to sugar basically um, to 
to having like a really good relationship with food and eating food because I know because of one I enjoy it but also my body loves it Mm. and initially there was there were things where I'm like okay I'm gonna buy that block of chocolate and I'm gonna hide it away from my husband and or I'd go to a social function (laughs) this is really like really dysfunctional but I'd I'd hide. So I'd take stuff off the table, put it on a plate, I'd go and put it in the car and eat it later. Like weird stuff like that. And um, I don't know, it almost comes back to like a sense of scarcity, lacking embarrassment as well. I don't know if all that ties back into the financial stuff, but they're just patterns that I've noticed that I'm like, ooh, that was weird. <laughs> It's, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're sharing because the whole purpose of this podcast, firstly, the 10 minute Tuesday is to give people really practical, um, short, sharp, intelligent thinking around how to actually work this stuff in your life. And then to have conversations with people who've gone on to do some really cool things and, and, and continuing to do cool things in the world and have overcome some stuff and that the proof that it's possible to change. And so I'm grateful that you're letting us deconstruct that a little and, and even examine some of the ways that you've done that, because I think that's, that's so central to everything I do in the insecurity project. It's not just to convince people it's possible, but to show them how, how is it possible? Mm. How can you also face your your fears so um that the piece of personalization is a is a bit of technology that i think is easy to miss um i don't know if you've heard me talk about misdirection in any of the podcasts uh, Mm. but that to me is the great magic of of people cursing themselves they think the action's happening over here i.e what's happening to them but they're missing where the action's really taking place all in their sense making structures in their head and their heart going, yeah, but why is this happening and what does it mean about me? And it's off the back of those subtle and often hidden answers that their whole life has changed, not because of what happened. And so when they go looking for the review and how to improve this, often they get caught in the, well, this is what happened. And so that must be what I need to fix, but it happens. So you can't really change it. You can't change the fact that your dad's business nearly got bankrupt, but but, but you can change the personalization and that's obviously what you've done whether you're aware of it or not you've created different personalization the your ability to not care about what others think is obviously off the back of personalization i am a good person whether you like me or not so mm. the belief that i'm okay and i'm valuable not tied to your opinion of me obviously then frees you to be to have common sense and to be logical um, which, which is, which is such an interesting thing. Also, hearing your story, and I'm sure people can relate to so many parts of it because there are elements of madness in in the dysfunction. It's like here's you, an intelligent, creative, kind, good person, behaving in a way that's destroying your body and undermining your relationships, and um, doing things that you're like, wow, this is really, really weird. It, it's a journey toward madness. Uh, and so you can't actually think rationally about your own experience because of these deep drivers that are often unnoticed. So to bring to the surface, create change, then means you can just go back to functioning uh, in a relaxed and peaceful way and be rational about your life again and behave in a way that's congruent with what makes sense and what is good for you and good for others. Yeah, I think that I have thought a lot about that transition from being to like, I want to eat this way and I'm eating this way, but I'm also not eating this way in secret too. 
actually I can go now to a function and not be tempted by it. like not even desire the food that I once desired because I know that it makes me feel crappy but there was so much tied into that as well and it again it was like what do what do people think of me and so that hiding and the hoarding especially like because I was a health practitioner I that's when I kind of started my journey into natural therapies too and I'm like oh if people see me eating this thing then I'm not going to be like very you know I'm, I'm a, a hypocrite or I'm not um walking the talk is that the right talking the walk <laughs> walking the talk walking the talk um, yeah they're not gonna think I'm a very good nutritionist mm. if they see me eating this sugar and so there was so much like shame and guilt around that too and maybe even like the financial stuff too. It's like, oh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs make lots of money, don't they? And well, not all, or many. <laughs> um, but, and so even that, it's like taking the, the way that people see or even myself sees a nutritionist to reconciling with that to a point where, I want to live my life the way that I want to live my life because it brings joy to me, to my life. And also like, I'm very much like body, 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 because that's my profession. And it's like, I'm, I'm honoring my body. I'm honoring my body and my mental health by living this way for no other reason, but because I have this deep desire to do it. Um, even, I don't know, this is probably a conscientious topic and I'm actually, I'm happy to tell people if they ask me, but I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> I'm not vaccinated, COVID vaccine, but it was a huge decision for me to make because on one side it was like, okay, I have all these people, like close people that I love around me that, you know, have people who are vulnerable to COVID and you're feeling a lot of guilt and shame around not getting vaccinated. But then on the other hand, I'm like, but I'm a health practitioner and I'm a natural practitioner and like, should I put something into my body that's, may potentially like damage it or cause a dysfunction. Um, and so there was so, so my, my struggle within myself was very much around what other people were thinking. And then at the end of the day, and like, to be honest, I actually booked in to get the COVID vaccination twice, but I just couldn't do it. And I couldn't do it because inside internally for myself, I didn't feel like it was the best thing for me to do at that time for me and for no one else. And so I think, I don't know. And again, I guess like, how did I get to that point? <laughs> That's the outcome, but it's, I feel like my health journey has helped me to make the decisions that I make and to live my life the way that I live it now be, so that I can honor my health and my body and my sanity. And it doesn't really matter what other people think about it. Uh, it's beautiful. What could be more important than deep, a deep loving relationship with yourself, deep rapport and the ability to know when that rapport is about to be broken and to realize that there's nothing as important as that rapport with yourself. Mm. So, And even looking back as a kid too, I feel like I didn't have that. I don't no. know, maybe, maybe most people, children don't. And that's why a lot of these patterns happen right back from childhood because we don't know how to deal with or who we are but there was a lot of insecurity as a kid and a teenager and in my 20s that I didn't know who I was or what I wanted or what I valued oh of course I think that's the problem most people are at war with themselves and are fighting against themselves to try and win they they 
they've created opinions that there's something no good or wrong or bad and they need to override that or squash that or diminish that or kill that part of themselves. It's a, it's a brutal relationship with self. So to have found peace, to be operating with permission now, uh, I don't know if you've heard me distinguish the difference between self-permission and self-discipline, but that's kind of exactly what you're describing, fighting against yourself now to this beautiful work with myself. And I don't have permission from my own body to take this vaccine. So how could I do that? How could I betray myself? How could I dishonor who I am? That's not going to work. Yeah, I love that. Self-discipline, self-permission. Because self-discipline is like I have the control or, or I don't have enough self-control or I have good self-control to do this thing. But the self-permission is I'm doing it because I love myself. <laughs> yeah, and self-discipline is a young person strategy because it's inefficient. It requires you to have energy to waste. It's mm. It's all about... You know, even what your husband was describing, just the forcing, the fighting, the desperation to win at all costs. You have to use discipline to do that. Mm-hmm. But eventually you steal all the future energy and you've got none left and, and you've created such deep pain within yourself that it all comes to a head and your unconscious, I think often your unconscious deliberately sabotages process and goes, right, that's it. We're not friends and I'm not part of this anymore. So chronic illness lack of energy, significant problems where you you are incapacitated and can't actually forge on in this crazy journey and you have to either, um, you know, some people don't actually come out the other side. Some people don't find a way to find peace again and that's kind of the beauty of hearing your story and the point of this podcast. But mm-hmm. at some point, if you can actually stop and listen and understand who you are and what you've been trying to do and find ways to bring peace then there is a new way of living and it's a way that's congruent and with deep rapport and it's healthy and it's vibrant and it's attractive mm. and um that's can that's I just what's add something possible. oh sorry can i just add no, something you, to when you said like find that peace um i remember doing again some it was a conversation with my husband chris really and then it turned into a coaching session <laughs> but he's like well why, why do you want to have good health and it all came back to and again, maybe there's even deeper levels, but what I kind of work back to is that I want calm because mm. I dislike chaos, which is how I felt when my health issues were an issue and maybe even how I felt when financial stuff was happening. It's like chaos. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? Like the fear of the unknown, same with health issues, to finding that calm, like inner calm and peace is really important to me. What stuff do you do on a daily basis or weekly basis? What are the rituals that are useful for your mental health and maintaining this rapport with yourself? Are there certain things that you found really useful? Yeah, I think like a th- boundary boundaries for me, like setting clear boundaries and they change as well, depending on the season of my life and what I'm uh, doing during that season. But creating the boundaries and what I mentioned too about just being clear about like how I'm going to show up that day um, because just like an alcoholic, a recovering addicted doer in my experience, I can very easily start unraveling all the stuff that I've done to go back into that tendency again. And so, and again, maybe that means that there's work to be done. Um, but I feel like every day, every morning when I wake up, it's like, how am I going to show up today? And just realigning with my highest values and and um, setting up those boundaries for myself and even like even from a very practical way of time scheduling and time blocking that this is the person that I show up to now 
and then so that then they're not bleeding into each other, um, which like I can very easily switch back into that, go to work, go to work, go to work to the expense of like giving attention to my kids or to my husband or, you know, even starting to like cause health issues type stuff. So I feel like there's still work to be done. I don't know, like, does that ever get better? (laughs) Or is it a conscious decision that you make daily to live your life how you want to? Uh, Well, I, I believe it, it must get better. And similarly to the vaccine issue. So you find yourself booking in twice and then your own body says, no, I can't. And that's, if you go ahead, then you violate something deep around this relationship we have. So um, I, I think about the, the idea of managing myself as similar to that. So if there's ever a situation where I, I have this default thing, and oh no, I need to manage myself and create rules myself so I don't behave badly. I get my ass kicked by my own unconscious. It's like, don't treat me like a child. Don't treat me like I'm a bad person. Don't treat me like you're going to manage me. You, if you feel like you're going to manage me, you haven't understood something. Yeah. So I, I find that there is genuine change and lasting transformation and an upgrade in your relationship with yourself when you really make peace and understand all parts of yourself so that um you know you realize that everything all all what all the resistance you had in the past was actually loving and had a positive intention to keep you safe and meet your needs and protect fears it wasn't because you were bad it wasn't because there was something wrong with you um so even when you behave badly it didn't mean there's something that is needs to be hidden or suppressed or killed. It was just you were trying to get by. You were trying to bring peace and comfort to yourself. So long answer to your question, yeah. but I think it must, there must be a, a possible to not have to manage yourself, to have a deep trusting relationship where you go, and you described it with the food, like you go into that situation, mm. you're not like, this is not even a temptation. I'm not even mm. like I'm a recovering food stealer, hider, it's like I just don't need to do that because it doesn't make any sense anymore. I don't really yeah. care that you what you think about me. I know what I think about me, so I'm fine here. So I think okay. there's opportunity so I, to review yeah. the managing process. Okay. Okay, yeah. So I think that you just answered my question because it's it's facets of life too. So I feel like I do that with I've done that with food. Mm. So the addicted worker, <laughs> still a bit of work to be done, but uh, yeah, putting, maybe I'm still in the managing section of that then too. Well, and I mean, you <laughs> to frame this for the audience, you, when we're setting up this conversation, you said, look, please push back on anything. Coach me if you need to, which like, it's yeah. a bold thing to say. And you give people a real gift, but just uh, because I'm so big on permission for these questions in all of my coaching sessions and whenever I talk, um, just to inform the audience, there was some permission to have these conversations before we press record. But uh, I would never use recovering uh, addictive, you know, what? sorry, what was the language that you used? Recovering addicted doer. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So that's, so language is powerful as as your husband's, I'm sure he bangs on about all the time with his NLP training. Uh, So I'm curious around, okay, so the addiction in the first place, uh, what for? the attempt to meet needs and protect fears through that behavior. So it was just a strategy. It was a strategy to to do something. So if you can understand what it was about and find a better strategy, then you displace that and you don't need to manage it. And so 
for me the and you're recovered or you are recovered because evolved you are evolved and so yeah that language then is is language of management and it's unkind language because it misunderstands what you were trying to do in the first place yeah. i think that's that's the real problem with that language it's it's unkind and okay. if someone was unkind to you you'd be you'd resent them you're like you don't get me you're judging me i don't know if you've ever been managed by someone in a work setting but it's it's always unkind. You're like you you think I'm bad. You haven't understood why I did that in the first place. You've got your wires crossed. Now you think I'm dangerous. And you got to manage me. Yeah. That's bullshit. Like, don't treat me like or, that. Or inadequate. Inadequate. You can't do that thing. Exactly. So to treat ourselves in that same way, I think it's it's exactly the same. It's unkind and un, and unconsciously there's resentment that builds. It's like, man, you don't even know me. You don't trust me. Um, okay. I, I don't feel the love. So to do the work around examining what for in the first place and reconcile that and work together with yourself to find strategies that meet the needs more resourcefully in ways that are more adult and more aligned to your values. Displacement is what happens. Yeah. You upgrade yeah, okay. and evolve. Thank you for the gift. I will <laughs> change my language. <laughs> well, thank you for the gift of your vulnerability and your willingness to have this conversation out loud and in front of an audience. That That's extraordinary. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think I so many people have versions of this hidden somewhere and to raise awareness and bring it to the surface will give people ways of thinking about their own experiences and where they, they manage themselves in a way that's yeah. unkind. I feel like it's, a, like it's very part of how we practice as well in that nobody's perfect. We're not perfect. There's still stuff we're working through. And like it's, and sometimes, and of course, you know, you want to work with someone who's the authority and the expert, but not in a way that it's like, well, I'm perfect. And mm -hmm. that means that you have to be perfect. It's, it's a journey together, really. It is a journey. I'm, I'm the same, like being a, being a coach. Have I got to be perfect? Have I got to have everything sorted before I can help someone else? Um, mm. So the way that I've thought about that is uh, I don't have to be perfect, but I must be wholehearted. Mm. I, I must be smoking what I'm selling. I must be embodying everything that I'm talking about and it must be the overflow of my own experience. Yeah. And, and then when I think about insecurity, I think my, my conviction around solving that problem is it must be possible to solve it on your current level of growth. So mm. to show up completely free from the imposter syndrome, completely free from the need to prove yourself or defend yourself here right now in this experience um, but if you do that, then you'll be so free that you'll inevitably take new territory and push new frontiers and evolve and you'll face new uncertainty because you've never done that before. And so new insecurities will arise. So I think it's not that you ever fully become, you never deal with insecurity again, but it must be possible to be free from it here and then face it again in, in the next growth and deal with it there and then face it again and then face it again and face it again. And so I think that's a really important way of thinking about it so that yeah. you're able to, can, you know, to show up in a way that says this is a solvable problem and you yeah. can watch as to see the evidence of that. Yeah. Just uh, one other little thing, just something too that I guess is entrenched in what we do in our health practice as well is body, body and mind is connected. And so... Mm. I really feel like if my body is out of whack, it absolutely can cause these insecure feelings and thoughts to pop up. 
um, mm. or, you know, and whether that shows off as like being irritated and frustrated at my husband, which is really a reflection of my own frustration <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or with my children. Um, so again, like just honoring my body, nourishing my body with good food, sleep, like just all those practical stuff makes a huge difference to the way that I think and feel about myself. And again, maybe that's more surface level, but it helps it helps me to maintain the work that I've done. I think it's it's not surface because as you said, mind and body are one system. And yeah, to treat to to lead with one or the other, I think is a really clever thing to do to mm. move your body, to change your nutrition, to address how you are feeling, then also impacts how you're thinking and your emotions and or or vice versa. If you deal with your thinking, then it shows up in your body as well. It lightens you. It creates physical changes. So yeah. at different times, you got to lead different ways. Yeah. And then also I know when things are out of balance because my body, like I'm very in tune with the messages my body sends to me too. So it's like, oh, why is my back a bit sore mm-hmm. today? Or, oh, why am I feeling a bit like, heartburny like what's going on there and so they're good strategies as well that I use daily or sometimes not daily week weekly at least some of these things are popping up that I'm like okay let's let's analyze what's going on inside my life where's that imbalance happening and like not just in my body because there's weak spots in my body that will show up with messages when stuff inside my life is not balanced so you've almost developed a communication language with yourself through yeah. physical pain or signals or yeah yeah that's great. Yeah. Uh, one more question: Can you can you tell us about your relationship with your kids now? So you mentioned that giving birth was traumatic, difficult, and and that there wasn't a natural love there. Can you tell us what things are like now as a mum? Yeah, awesome. So different relationships with both children. Poppy, uh, like Chris, my husband, was kind of the mother-father role for the first at least six months. And so they always had a really special bond. Um, And I think age and maybe my, as I felt more balanced and healthier, Maybe it was like Poppy was five years old and just something clicked where we have a bond now. And I don't know when it was or what it was, but um, that bond that wasn't there came five years later, which Mm. is sad but also happy. Um, Elsie, uh, my youngest one, uh, a different type of birth that love was there first, although I then – started having more health issues, especially anxiety. Um, So back then, yeah, again, this is not a nice word, but I called myself the dragon mum back then because I was screaming and snapping at the kids all the time, dysfunctionally, like a newborn baby that you shouldn't get that angry with a child really. Mm. Um, And so, and that was a big pinnacle point too, where I'm like, okay, I got to change the way that I've got to change who I am and my body and my mind because I love my children. (laughs) Like I love my children and I don't want them to, um, I don't want to damage them. And so I've always been really conscious around that, like working on myself first and foremost for myself, but also so I can be a more loving and present mom and also be a better role model for them 
too. And again, it's like the, it's what I talked about with the, the hat now. And some days that hat doesn't get put on the way that I would like to, but intentionally spending time with them. Um, we love playing Uno together, <laughs> especially my youngest, six years old. She beats me every time. It's mm-hmm. awesome. I don't, I try my hardest, but you know, spending, one of my highest values is my family. And so prioritizing time with them is so important to me, um, important to them, but it also helps me uh, like to live, live my true worth. And so carving out that time. Um, again, not a perfect mum. Probably ask my kids right now. They'll be like, she's not a good mum. <laughs> um, no, no, actually they, they do say nice things about me now. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole journey has made motherhood so much better and also our marriage and relationship because there was a point where it could have it could have gone bust. <laughs> mm. um, but working on that daily, like again, it's waking up and being intentional. How am I going to show up as a mum and a wife today? Mm. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, you are an award-winning practitioner. You get some really interesting media coverage. I've been watching some stuff that's been written about you, hearing some things you've said. You're great at what you do and you do amazing work in the world. So where can people find out more about your work and where do you hang out online? Yeah, cool. So we've got our website, um, chrisandphilly.fm. Um, on there too, we've got a whole bunch of free resources. Um, we have a scorecard, which a lot of people love doing. So that's called the ending body burnout assessment. And it looks at your rate of burnout symptoms, but also body, mind and environment and where some of those root causes might be coming from. So it gives you a rating. Um, uh, we've also got mini courses around burnout, hormonal gut issues, and mostly hanging out on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> right. And that's uh, Philly with an F for those who are trying to spell yes. that. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for a beautiful conversation, for being so secure in sharing your journey and reflecting on how you've done what you've done. You've given the listeners a great gift. I'm sure people will benefit from this. So any parting words before we wrap up? No, thank you. Thank you for the gift that you're giving to everybody as well. I don't think there's enough people talking about these deeper target issues. And so again, super grateful that I could be on your show today um, and hope that everyone got something out of it. Thanks, Phil. We'll leave it there. You've been listening to the Insecurity Project Podcast. All you need to solve any problem is the proven framework and someone skillful enough to hold you in the space until it works. If this is your year to be insecurity free, jump on the insecurityproject.com and begin your journey to become unhindered by getting a free copy of the seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity.